Riley Murtha, and I'm your host. This is Life and Shit, your weekly safe haven away from all of the artificial bullshit going on out there, where we discuss what it means to live well, what it means to truly feel good, and how we can achieve those things. So thank you so much for being here, and let's get to this week's episode. being here. We're back with another episode of Life and Shit, the podcast. We got the new mic, we got that good ass sound quality, and we are ready to go. On this episode, I'm chatting with Caleb Dahlgren. He's the author of a book called Crossroads. He is Canadian, and he is incredibly inspiring and has a ton of wisdom to share with us, both in his book and in our conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I was thinking about it while I was getting everything hooked up, and I was like, I don't know if I've ever had anyone on the podcast that I haven't met. And then I was like, but that's weird because I feel like I know more about you from reading your book than I know about like most people that I talk to. Well, that's cool. I'm honored. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm super excited about this. Yeah, me too. What's going on in your life right now? Are you just starting a new school year? I am. So I just started actually my doctor of chiropractic studies at Canemarrow Chiropractic College. So I'm super, super stoked about that. We are in 14 courses right now. At um, once? So <laughs> at <laughs> once, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 14 courses at once. And so that's a little bit of adjustment, but... I absolutely love it, and it doesn't really feel like work, to be honest. Like, we do eight to ten-hour days every day. Wow. And it's been really good. Like, in the first, I saw my pairs, actually, the first three days, I've had 29 hours of lecture. That was, like, last week. Oh, my like, God. Like, that's just lecture lab. It doesn't include, like, prep or studying the materials after. It's only just, like, time in class. Whoa, so. that's insanely heavy course load. How long does that last? Like, how long is the program? It's four years, so the course load like this will be three years, and then the last year is all practicum placement, and you just get placed and have experience. That's that's dope. Good for you. That's so exciting. How did you, you decide on chiropractic school? Ooh, so I knew since I was 13 that I wanted to help other people in my life in the future, and I knew I wanted to be something sports-related or health-related. And I actually saw a chiropractor when I was 13, and after that, I was like, that's what I want to do. That was, like, kind of where my head was at. I wanted to play professionally, get my degree uh, through hockey, and then play professionally overseas. And then after that, I wanted to hopefully come back and become a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And so I fast-tracked it a bit, got my degree, went straight into Cairo, but couldn't be happier. That's awesome. I worked at a chiropractic yeah. office when I was – fresh out of like high school pretty much so I learned a lot about that cool. world and it's something that like I have a lot of respect for and as a personal trainer now I always refer my clients to chiropractic because it has people just have these beliefs about chiropractic and they don't understand it a lot of the time but it's always something that I go back to and it's, yeah. it's amazing people don't understand like the whole kind of like why we're getting adjusted I think a lot of the time exactly yeah what have you been up to like today or just in general? <laughs> in general, what's been keeping you busy? 
Yeah, a lot. I'm actually sitting in an empty house right now. I'm sitting on a lawn chair because I sold all my furniture. I'm in the process of moving right now. Um, I decided that I'm going to make a big change this winter and I'm going to just go to Costa Rica and see where wow. where I end up. I've been in Congrats. Vancouver for That's 10 so years. Cool. Yeah, thank you. I've been here for 10 years in Vancouver and I'm just feeling like a little restless. I started my own business about two and a half years ago and it's been going really, really well. And I just feel like I'm ready for a new chapter and want to push myself. So I was like, I'm just going to go somewhere and take the online business that I have and grow it and see where I end up. Good for you. That's so cool. <laughs> That's exciting. Are you nervous? Um, no, not really. I'm just excited. Good. Like I'm just trusting the process and like it just feels right. And I think that it'll work out the way that it's meant to. Oh, well, for sure. Yeah. That's super exciting. I guess I might be nervous once I'm actually like out of my place and I'm like fully homeless and like have nothing. <laughs> it might hit me then. <laughs> right now I'm just like busy, busy. So I've just been like selling stuff and getting organized and just putting all my energy into like getting through the next few weeks in the city and then yeah I think it'll wow. all feel real after that what's your what's your have to do list is there something you have to hit up in Vancouver before you leave for me for myself yeah. I was kind of thinking that today I'm like I almost have like a bucket list of things that I want to do yeah. again or there's a really big hike here that I've been wanting to do for years and every summer I plan it and then something happens because it's like a 10 to 12 hour hike it's a long one Wow. but it's called Panorama Ridge and it like has multiple parts to it like through a beautiful meadow and then you get to the top of a mountain it's like this crystal like that crystally blue water and it's just like the most unreal view and it's something that I've been wanting to do forever so I'm pushing for that next weekend hoping that happens because I really want to get it get it in but there's been a lot of bears and stuff in the area so if it doesn't happen I'll be back you know it's not like I'm never going to be back in the city but that's probably my number one thing and then Little hikes around the city. I want to get to Stanley Park before I go. Get to Wreck Beach before I go. Have you heard of Wreck Beach? I have heard of Wreck Beach, yeah. <laughs> and I've heard of Stanley Park. I've yeah. heard both of those. Yeah, I love to run around like the outside of Stanley Park. So that's like one of my happiest places. I would like to get there and do that and spend one afternoon at the beach. But we'll see. Awesome. We'll see how yeah. much of that actually happens in the next few <laughs> weeks. If the weather cooperates. I'm going to let you just, like, lead things. A, because I don't know how to talk about your book without, like, spo being, like, a spoiler. I don't want to, like, spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've been talking about it to everyone. I couldn't even tell you the last time that I read a book that wasn't, like, personal development or, like, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't even know if I've ever read, like, an autobiography-type book, and it was just something that I... I just wanted to get to the end. Like it was so well written. I'm really interested to learn more about like your process, like your creative process and what that looked like. But like, I'm good with any question as well. There's not a question that is a tough spot. I've healed from everything mentally, physically, emotionally, yeah. especially through writing the book has helped tremendously with that process. Yeah. So it must've been like feel comfortable answering questions. pretty healing to, to sit down and write that. I imagine that was like a, probably a big part of your healing journey. It was for sure. I wasn't expecting it to be that big of a process. And I thought I was fully healed before I wrote it. Mm. I found some spots where I was a little bit hard and difficult. And I was like, you know what, this is tough. But then once it all came to fruition, and especially like chapter 16, for example, that was one of the toughest chapters to write. And I also wanted to make it, it was like one of the best chapters to write. And so. Was that the one that like what was all about your teammates? Yeah, the tribute chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that one was difficult, but it was also needed. 
and I wanted to make sure they were remembered and that was great for my healing process as well. Yeah, and like such a beautiful way to honor them. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. And I know we'll be in there forever too and that's why I thought like the book would be such a great way to encompass my feelings for them and to always have that out there, how much they meant to me. Right. Yeah. That is a beautiful way to heal and like so powerful and I think it helped like other people, like it almost sounds silly but like it almost was like healing for me to read it I always find when I hear about like really tragic things I have such a hard time with it I feel really like affected and I always like have so many questions and I'm like how could these things happen like you just like ruminate and you just like don't have any other information usually when you hear about stuff so to hear your story it was like you take your reader along with you through like the before the during and the after and it was super cathartic that's super cool I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it it really made my day yeah, actually, I'm really happy. Yeah, but let's just start from the beginning. So, like, who are you, and what's your story? <laughs> <laughs> what's my story? So, my name is Caleb Dahlgren, and I'm a 24 year old Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College student, and uh, was a former student athlete at York University for three years. Played on the men's hockey team. Previous to that time, I grew up being an absolute hockey fan. Lived, slept, eat, breathed hockey. That's all I did. Um, spent time with family and friends growing up. At the age of four, I had down some type 1 diabetes, and I'm a type 1 diabetic. I was able to play hockey at the highest levels and play AAA, played Junior A in Notre Dame, Wilcox, and uh, for the Humble Broncos. And I was able to start a mentorship program for type 1 diabetic children. And sadly, at the end of my season in Humboldt, I was involved in the Humble Broncos crash and lost 16 people that I considered to be family and was one of the 13 survivors. From there, I went to York University that fall, and uh, now, three years later, and starting a new venture with Chiropractic College, so I'm really excited with that, and uh, I'm only a child, I have two parents, Mark and Anita, a dog at home named Murphy, that's my parents' dog, um, and just have a happy life. I'm really fortunate to have great friends in my life, and I guess that's a little bit about me. I guess another thing I do is I give speeches for a living. Um, part-time gig I guess and I wrote a book called Crossroads. Oh cool so you are you're speaking regularly now I was gonna ask you if you like do you consider yourself a motivational speaker like what do you I don't know if I call myself a motivational speaker it sounds like a little too cliche per se but uh, I talk about positivity resilience optimism uh, teamwork community those kind of topics are right in my wheelhouse and even one of the topics is called Crossroads it's just about crossroads throughout life in general for me, but how we all have different crossroads and how to navigate those crossroads and try to find the positive in every single one of them. So it's uh, really cool. I've been with Talent Bureau for, I guess, three years now. And my agent, Jeff, is truly incredible. Um, I couldn't be more grateful for his support. And he's been a major person in my life. He's really changed my life. Oh, that's amazing. Do you speak at events or what kind of speaking are you doing mostly now? So... I've done quite a few events, especially since the release of the book in March 2021. Um, I'd say all over has been virtual for the most part mm-hmm. right now, but I've done talks with Google Canada, the hockey conference, coaches clinics, um, even elementary school, high school, universities. I've done quite a few organizations to like Watson clubs, um, business organizations too, to help with teamwork and community with that. And then also like sport teams as well. So Division One, U Sports, AHL. I've talked to quite a few 
You know, you've been uh, doing a lot friends. of talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying quite a few, I guess, now I'm thinking about it, but it's all different and it all differently applies. And I, change, I try changing it every time for the group that it applies to. Right. I've done lots with diabetics as well. Since I'm a type 1 diabetic, I do lots of advocacy for that. So um, I've talked to lots of different diabetic groups too. But the whole idea is the connection with people. I absolutely love connecting to them and really hearing their side of life too. Yeah. I think through sharing my story, I hear their strength and vulnerability come up too and how it's impacted them. And that's truly why I love doing it is to see that here, I guess, even when I first, like, what was my second speech ever? Um, a person came up to me and said, you literally changed my life. I said, well, that's good. I thought they were just being nice. And I'm like, that's great. And they're like, no, like, I was thinking of committing suicide tonight. Mm. And you were my last hope. And you literally changed my life. Wow. And that was when it hit me. That was like, okay, so this is how big of an impact this could have on somebody. Yeah. And that's part of my reason why I want to do it is to hopefully help others throughout their tough times. And so that kind of impact has really made an impact on me. And it feels good to help others. Yeah, definitely. That's like a crazy feeling when you realize that you actually are helping people and you're making them feel better and getting them through tough stuff. I can relate to that a little bit because I, I host some events and retreats and people come very vulnerable and very open and willing to share and just wanting to feel better. And I've had people say, you know, that I've really impacted their, them moving forward and changed their life in, in different ways. And it's like, hard to even really imagine that or like take it seriously like you said you're like okay but realizing that you are having a positive impact like I don't think anything feels better than that like it's such I don't yeah it is it's like literally this thing that fuels my soul is that aspect of life just like that connection you have with people and the impact that you can have on them but not only them but on yourself and like how good that makes you feel and how much you learn from them too. Mm-hmm. And you can put the, yourself in their shoes and empathize with what's going through their life. Yeah. So it's super, super rewarding for me emotionally, and that's why I do it. That's amazing. Were you always a good speaker? Is that something that, well, you must have been doing that with your Diabetes Foundation, right? Yeah. yeah so I was been... fortunate enough to have a little bit of help from my dad at a young age. My dad's very good at public speaking, and my mom is very eloquent as well. So I have good genes with that. But then on top of that, um, I was doing lots of work with JDRF. I was a natural ambassador there. I also have my own program, Dahlgren's Diabetes. And so I'd give speeches for JDRF about diabetes and my story. And then on top of that with diabetes, I'd go to every diabetic or diabetes elementary school. And so I'd give a speech to their elementary school and their classroom. Um, and that was really good also just to help me with public speaking. But I never really thought I wanted to do it as a career, mm. per se. Um, it was more just something that I like to do to help others and give back and to make, I guess, the diabetic feel comfortable in their space. Because I know growing up for me, I didn't really feel comfortable at times. And it'd been amazing if somebody with diabetes came into our school who was a hockey player that was young and just gave a talk about diabetes. I would have absolutely loved that. That would make my life a lot easier. And so if I was able to do that for those children, that's what I wanted to do. That's amazing. That's so cool. Because, yeah, if you don't know much about diabetes you just don't know and it can be probably difficult to find people to relate to how common is type 1 diabetes i don't know the statistics per se but i'd say it's quite common it's more diabetes in general type 2 and people being over obese or unhealthy lifestyle choices um type 1 is a little bit less i guess common 
but it's also still prevalent and it's becoming more common than it should be, which is scary mm. and uh, it's tough to see for sure. But there's so much more awareness than there is like 20 years ago when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Today, I feel like those children have it a lot easier, which is great. Technology's improved. Um, management has improved. Awareness has improved. So they don't feel as alienated. But like, I remember even in grade four, I was in the bathroom giving myself a needle. And as I was giving myself a needle, I'm in like the bathroom stall, night in the bathroom. A kid walks into the bathroom and he peeps through those little cracks in the bathroom. And they have like the stall and like peek through the crack. And as he's looking in there, he's like, oh my God, oh my God, and ran out and then screamed, Kills, give himself a needle, kill himself a needle. Aww. And he told like the whole, yelled at the whole playground teachers had to come in and see if I was okay. It was just a big ruckus that did not need to be a big ruckus at all. Yeah. And that was kind of when I felt like I was different and I was alienated amongst my peers. And so that was where I don't want to die beauty or any die by a child to ever feel like that. Mm-hmm. Die beauty. That's a good name. Did you come up with that like right away? It's always in the back <laughs> I, of your head. Actually, so it was a little bit tough. I was 16 and I helped one of my good friends now. He just became a type 1 diabetic at the time, just got newly diagnosed. I was giving him some tips and tricks about how to handle it. And he was like, man, this really helped. Like you should do this for other people. Mm. I thought, hmm, you know what? You're right. I definitely could that was when I wanted to give back was when I was 16. I was like, I should do this for children. Because I know what it was like me as a child. And now I'm in a role where I can actually use my platform for good. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. And so then I ended up thinking about it, talked to my family. And my parents said, wait until you're done high school kind of thing. Like, you're still in high school. Your marks matter for university. All this stuff. So they're okay, I'll wait. And uh, at the time, I did think of Dahlgren's diabetes but kept it very on the low, low profile. <laughs> and um, then 18 year old came around. I still didn't really have that like big fan base to really rally around the program. I was in Wilcox, which has a town of 400 people. So there really wasn't that many fans at our hockey games. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'll be able to wait a little bit. And then I was going to my 20 year old year. I was like, okay, like I need to ask out of this place if I want to start this program because right. I don't feel like this is the right spot. That was probably one of the hardest decisions as a person that I had to make. And I didn't want to leave Notre Dame at all. So when I did that, I got humbled, had 5,000 people. I thought, great time for me to start this. I couldn't have been happier starting at Humboldt. Yeah. That's something that was really interesting in your book, too, is like the insight into what it's like to be like an athlete at all but like into the hockey world because it's not something that I ever had obviously well not obviously but I just didn't I wasn't in and around it at all like growing up and didn't really I wasn't friends with like that group in high school and I just like it was really interesting to learn what that lifestyle was like and it's so much more intense and like there's so much more to it than I would have ever known yeah yeah it's definitely something that you don't really know unless you have friends or family into it there's also like positive connotations and negative connotations with hockey players too and I hope that through the book people can see that there's also like lots of good hockey players too that are kind and nice and give back and you can see even throughout the NHL all the like in every level you see lots of guys that are like giving themselves to other people have various organizations they're supporting and are truly trying to be good humans on this earth too Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully that can shine through the book as well because there's tons of people i've met in hockey that are incredible people and some of the best people i've ever met yeah and so i think that hockey creates that kind of culture too that's a good point 
and it's nice. It was really nice to see like the the connections and the depth that you would really never see. Like even when Humboldt, we'd have Bachelor Mondays. I love that. (laughs) I loved hearing that. You love that? Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, there'd be like like at least fifteen plus guys of our twenty three guy roster that would go, and it was at my Billa's house, and we'd be in the basement. They have tons of guys just sprawled over the floor on the couch, have extra chairs in the back. <laughs> like, it was a party, and it was watching The Bachelor. And so I just think that's the funniest thing. That's Looking hilarious. Back at it, it was, yeah, that's the kind of bonds that you, like, never forget. Or, like, yeah. those kind of nights, or Riverdale Thursdays, or going out for breakfast with the group. Yeah. Those are, like, the memories that you really remember and take away, for sure. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that that's how you guys would have been bonding or spending your time. How did The Bachelor thing start? Whose idea was that? <laughs> so the Humboldt Broncos tradition, they did it the year before. There really wasn't that much of a turnout the year before, I guess. And it was like maybe eight to ten guys. And so the year that I was there, we were like, okay, let's make this an event. Like, let's make people want to come. So we'd have it at my Bill's house where there's lots of room in the basement. And lots of guys just genuinely wanted to come. Lots of guys were actually interested in the show. Mm-hmm. So we had... Tons of guys come over. Then the first night, I think there's about a good 15. And then the second time, everybody's here about it in the dressing room and everybody's talking about it. So then, like, a good, almost everybody came over the next time. And so then we had people that were regulars that would come. And if you're first there, first come, first serve. So you got the first dibs on the spot. <laughs> so we'd have guys come super early to get a good spot in the house. It was actually pretty funny. That's but so uh, funny. I think that was why it was, again, the poll for people to come early to get a good spot and then we'd have like the bonding time hanging out chatting before bachelor and then we'd watch the bachelorette and then continue on afterwards but we had curfew um that night on those nights so we'd go home afterwards but it was super fun that's so endearing i love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so back to the diabetes um tell me a bit about Actually, I really liked in your book as well, like you did a great job of describing what it was like to be diagnosed with diabetes at such a young age and what that experience was like, especially as an athlete. Um, So do you maybe want to share a bit about like what that looked like for you? And then what did it look like when you decided you wanted to turn that into more of like an established organization? And what does it mean to be a diabetes? Okay. That was like so seven questions. So this is a long-winded question. Yeah. So a few questions in there. <laughs> um, first off, when I was diagnosed, it was very difficult. Um, but we really didn't know what was wrong with me. So I was at my babysitter's house. And I was drinking four liters of milk before noon. And that was very strange. You never would see a four-year-old drink that. And so she called my dad. I was like, okay, you need to come pick up Caleb. Take him to the hospital. There's something wrong with him. So he came and picked me up. And when he picked me up, we went back to our house to change. And uh, when we changed there, he was um, changing, and I was in the bathroom. And in the bathroom, I turned on the water tap, stuck my head in the sink, and started lapping water in my mouth with my toothbrush because I was just that thirsty. I couldn't quench the thirst. Hmm. And he was like, okay, something's up. I got to take you to the hospital. So we went to the hospital and got into a room and got poked and prodded with needles. And within not too long later, the doctor walked in the room and said, your son's a type 1 diabetic, he'll be insulin dependent for the rest of his life. Hmm. And my dad was a nurse by trade, so was my mom. Oh, yeah. Um, so they both had an idea of what type 1 diabetes was, but at the time, I had no idea. And if you have any four year old siblings or cousins or anyone that's around that age, it's hard for them to even comprehend what exactly yeah. type 1 diabetes is. 
And so for me in the hospital, I was getting poked with needles often. And I was like, I hate this doctor's house. And so this chair through windows, I get sent home. And I don't remember saying that, but that's what I was told by my parents as a four-year-old. And uh, I thankfully didn't throw a chair throughout the window. <laughs> I didn't get sent home, but I got sent home after for good management. Um, <laughs> and once I got home, I thought I was home free. I was like, there's no more needles. I'm good to go. Mm. Not only to find out, like within about 20 minutes later, I need another needle. And then later that night, another needle. And then before bed, another needle. And that became a reality real fast. Mm. And we had to figure out, I wasn't happy about it. And I'd literally try to go hide from my parents and maybe hide and go seek, but I don't want to be found every time I needed a needle. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I even challenged my parents to say, you don't love me, you're hurting me. If oh, you're no. hurting me, you don't love me. And it was hard. It was super hard for our family for the first yeah. three months. And I finally kind of comprehended that I needed needles to survive. And this is my new normal. And after that, I shifted my mind to focus on the positives. And obviously living with the disease or illness is hard. But having a mindset that's negative makes it twice as hard. So I really tried to reframe my mind and my parents really helped me out with that and saying, okay, like, look, like, you look at the positives of this, the negative will always be there, but the positive will always be there too. You need to focus mm. on that positive. And so growing up, I had coaches say I should quit playing hockey. I should go and like, take on a different sport that's less strenuous. Um, I also had some people that look at me differently at camps because of my diabetes. I'd be having Scooby snacks on the bench and put them in my mouth. If you are just looking at me like, why are you having Scooby snacks on the bench? <laughs> but uh, that's, that became normal for me. And then to answer your second question, um, I knew I wanted to give back ever since I was 12. I didn't know what, but I knew I wanted to give back. I was always brought up to community first and helping others first. I'd volunteer at my parents' care home and play with the residents and get to know them and They'd be in long-term care facilities or they'd have different patients like with Down syndrome um, or things like that, like just different instances. And so I'd spend lots of time with them, play games, get to know them. And I knew that that was something that I really enjoyed. And so when I was 16 and my friend told me that I really helped him with his newly diagnosed and I should do it for other people, it all clicked together. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should do this for children. And I had done stuff with, North Balfour, I was there playing with the AAA Stars. I was involved in community practices. So every practice for, uh, it would have been Calder. He was our coaches, one of my assistant coaches' son. I go to their team and help them practice and just move pucks around and play with the kids. Um, there's lots of stuff that we do in the community. And so I'd always try to take part in that. And then when he mentioned about diabetes, I was like, yeah, like, I should really do that. So then 18, I joined on to GRF, which is an organization that helps improve lives of type 1 diabetic children, mm. or even just type 1 diabetics in general. It's just awareness. And usually they run events every year to raise funds for a cure. And uh, then joined on to them as a provincial ambassador. And then two years later, not even a year later, I don't know, two years later, I guess, I became a national ambassador. And so that was super cool. Kind of go back to my time in Notre Dame. I, I loved it but it just didn't feel fulfilled on the inside. I think that we come at a time in life where we have things that push us to move, to change, and it's that inside of feeling fulfillment. And even in your case, Riley, like how you're moving away now and that's something that you're excited about is a change and it's new and it's taking this risk and it's definitely your comfort zone. And for me, that's what I was gonna do. I was supposed to be captain Notre Dame coming up. 
as assistant captain that year. I wanted to be a leader of the organization, but I knew there was more than just the letter on my jersey. Yeah, and I wanted you trusted to your intuition on that, and that's crazy. Like that's exactly. that's brave. It's hard to do. It is for sure. And then after that, I ended up asking for a trade, and got traded to Humboldt and started Dahlgren's Diabetes. And so this is a program that really creates awareness for type one diabetes and also lets the diabetic know that they can pursue their dreams and passions and diabetes not to hold them back. And so I did this through Humble Broncos and what would happen was diabetes would come to Johnny's Bistro, get a pregame meal with them and their family. Then they would come to the Broncos game, get complimentary tickets for them and their family. And then they'd come to participate in a ceremonial face off at the start of the game with me and the captain of the other team. We get a picture and then they watch a game wearing the diabetes jersey all night. And then after the game, I meet with them upstairs and their family, really just talk about diabetes, the things I did, and answer their questions. And like growing up, I didn't have that person to look up to or mm-hmm. even ask questions. Yeah. I the questions I had were like, how do you deal with the first date? You obviously have to check your yeah. blood sugar. How do you explain that you're type one diabetic? Right. Or if you go camping, what do you do when you go camping? What yeah. if you're on the boat? and you have no snacks or what if you're out in the middle of the bush and you aren't prepared and you have to stay the night those are another one or even what do you do with sports how do you handle diabetes in sports yeah so these are questions i had that really didn't have those kind of answers and so i wanted to really connect with those diabetes and make sure that their questions were answered because i would have loved that and then they'd get introduced into a Facebook group chat with all their diabetes families. Mm. And then on top of that, I'd go to their school and do a presentation at their classroom or school. More than likely, it was the school that I would do the presentation for. And it was just talking about diabetes and creating more awareness so that they did feel comfortable inside the space that they're at majority of the day. And so I was able to do that. And I have 16 diabetes now. I continued it on at York University. And I absolutely love it. I think, like, I look back to it, and even just, like, the smiles that I get on their faces, but even, like, some of the stories I have from them and how they have came out of their shell is truly incredible. That is incredible. And you're doing so much that you've gone above and beyond to make sure that they have the resources that you didn't have. And I think it's probably so inspiring for them to see everything that you've accomplished and never let that get in your way. Never let it get in your way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thank you no, I appreciate that it's it's really it's humbling because they inspire me mm-hmm, and that. all of them inspire me they even I'll give an example one's writing a children's book right now another one created a care package for newly diagnosed type 1 diabetic children and she goes to the hospital and gives them literally a care package mm-hmm. and tells them it's going to be okay That's so another sweet. one did a presentation in front of his school the same year he became a diabetes and before he would hide his diabetes and every time he had to check his blood sugar go to the classroom every time he had to eat a snack he go to the classroom and then at the end of the school year he was presenting to his entire school about his story as being a type 1 diabetic That's so it's amazing. like those are the things that you just see and you're like wow like they inspire me to be a better person i was never like that when i was that young i was never able to go out and help other diabetics when I was that young. Yeah. So to see them, they inspire me. It's like a ripple effect, though. Like, they see you doing it, so they want to do it. And it's like this huge movement. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's why I kept it smaller quarters with only 16 diabetes, because I could have tons of diabetes throughout Canada. But I want to create a personal connection with them. I don't want to leave them feeling like they can't reach out to me 
or that I don't have time for them or that it's just superficial. Yeah. But I want it to be super deep. I want to have that close relationship. I want to be at their weddings. I want them to be at my wedding one day. Like that's what I want. I want that kind of connection with them. So to have that has been amazing. That's so cool. That's really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So let's talk more about your book. I'm really curious about how it became a book. Like how, where did that idea and inspiration come from? How did it come to life? And what did, I always have to ask like a 10 part question. I can't just ask a normal question. <laughs> so the first part of how it became a book, I'm going to tell you right now, I did not want to write a book. Mm, interesting. I did not want to write a book at all. Yeah. I wasn't interested in writing books. I'm not really a big book person. To be honest. Interesting. I like books. Mm-hmm. I've always liked them, but I've never really been a big reader. Yeah. I'll read books if I'm told to read books. And I read lots of books for school. And so I would read all those books. And even in university, I was reading all the required textbooks and stuff. But I don't like just read on the side of reading those textbooks for fun. Yeah. Um, I like audiobooks, though. I was big into audiobooks before. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, a little bit different. And then, like, I like podcasts too. I like listening to music. So those are like kind of my outlets, not really sitting down reading, but yeah. doing stuff and listening. And so when I was, I did my first ever speech and it was about, it was after the crash. This was like my first speech away from diabetes. Still mm. had diabetes in it, but it was more about like my life uh, and resilience points, like resilience I had to go through my life. Mm-hmm. So in the speech, I talked about being a diabetic, talked about almost losing my dad at 16 mm-hmm. and I talked about my aftermath from the crash. I didn't really talk about much about the crash. It was more just like the aftermath after the crash yeah. and how I moved forward to where I was at, at York university. And I did the speech and at the whole time I had like notes on my hand, I had papers and I was shaking. I don't know. Like, I'm sure people saw how much I was shaking out there. And I was so nervous because I it was so comfortable talking about diabetes but as soon as it became more about like me being vulnerable with my dad and mm-hmm. also talking about yeah. the crash and after that, like I was really nervous. And right after that person came up to me and said, you should write a book. Mm. And I started laughing. I was like, there's no way. I was like, are you serious? They're like, yeah, you should write a book. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested at all. Like, I don't know if you heard me, but I have a brain injury. I'm in university. I'm in studies, I'm a student athlete, I'm in volunteering with lots of different programs. Like, I don't think now is the time for me to write a book. But thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, not a lot of <laughs> spare time, but. Yeah, and so he's like, no, like, you should really consider it. I was like, okay, thanks, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But no deal. <laughs> <laughs> and so as I proceeded to do a couple more of these speeches throughout the summer, that was what I was getting after lost them, where people were mm. like, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, I don't know if it's common or not. So I talked to my agent, Jeff, and I said, hey, Jeff, like, do you think this is normal that like, you are saying I should write a book kind of thing? He started laughing. He's like, no, it's not normal <laughs> at all. He's like, but it's true. Like, People like your message, and you have a great way of telling it, and mm-hmm. your story can really resonate with a lot of people in different ways. And he's like, you've been through a lot already in your young life. And he's like, I think it could really make an impact on people's lives and yeah. make a positive impact. And I said, okay, cool. Wasn't really wanting to know if I could write a book or should write a book. It was just more like, why are people asking me this? Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, no worries at all. And um, things started, kept on progressing. I kept getting DMs, messages and stuff. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Um, and then my agent reached back out to me and said, hey, like, there's been some interest from publishing companies. Are you 
interested in writing a book. And I was like, hmm, I don't think so at all. <laughs> this time, I was in five courses, and I loaded the semester up for, like, the hardest one yet to see if I could handle chiropractic school. Mm. So I was in five courses. I was a student athlete. I had four things within our hockey team that I was doing. So I was, like, head of recruiting, assistant to our strength conditioning coach. I was head of group two leader. I was practicing working out with the team as well. And I was also on our student council as a representative for men's hockey team. And then on the side, I had four different things externally that I was doing volunteering wise. And so like, I was jam packed. I loaded that schedule just to see if I can handle it. Yeah. And so I was, <laughs> I was like to my age, I was like, look, like, I don't have the time. Like, I'm not interested. I don't have the time. I really don't think I'll have that big of an impact. Mm. so okay sounds good like just want to let you know it's okay great then about a month passed he came back he's like look like they're still interested i think you should give this a second thought and he's like i think your book could really help others he's like i'm not trying to force you but he's like i think you should maybe give it at least some thought he's like you said no pretty fast both times like maybe just sit there and think about it talk to your family talk to your friends and then see so i said okay sounds good so i talked to family and friends and course they're all pumped like you should do it you should do it yeah um but there's a lot of things in my life that i wasn't too sure about like if i was emotionally ready to write the book yeah no kidding if i was mentally ready if i was physically ready with the time mm -hmm. if what i said and did would affect other families yeah like there was so many unknowns and like at the time i was 22 and i've been told to write a book and i was like well this is so weird um and the, I was also young. So, like, whatever I say, I have to live with forever. Normally, authors are, like, 40s, 50s, 60s. They aren't living with like, – they've had already a career. They already had their life. Yeah. Whatever I write, I have such a big life ahead of me still, hopefully. Yeah. And so that was another thing I put in consideration. was, like, I'm so young. I have so much more life experiences to come. Should I just wait? Yeah, and if I had written a book at 22, like – I'd be out at every bookstore ripping it off the shelves and burning them. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that was so, there was so much going through my mind, and I was like, I don't know. So I talked to Haley Wickenheiser, who I came really close with after the crash, and I really admire her. I knew she went through the book process, and I really like what she does for the community. She's really community-oriented, and I love her personality, really connected. And so I asked her, and she said, why wouldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. She's like, you could help so many lives. And I said, yeah, I know, but I already am helping so many lives through what I'm doing already. Yeah. She's like, yeah, but this could have such a big impact even more. I was like, yeah, I guess, but I'm not really interested. I think it's just more me trying to find ways to say no than me to try to find ways to say yes yeah. kind of thing. And so I ended up talking to family, friends, and talked to a couple of other people, teammates. And I was like, said, went back to Jeff. I was like, look, like, I don't think so. I don't think I could do this. So, okay, I'll give you a week. So I'll give you a week, just think about it on your own. It's like, you gave me two, three no's already. He's like, just think about this. And he's like, this will be a final decision. So hopefully you're okay with whatever you decide. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I think personally, I respect whatever you want to do. And I'm happy for you either way. He's like, it's great that you have this opportunity. But if you don't feel comfortable, that's great too. And I said, well, thank you. Appreciate that. And so um, I was sitting in class literally that week. The next day I said no. Um so this was like the following day after I said no. I'm sitting in class. My professor walks in the room, and he's one of my favorite professors at the university. And Professor Perchel is his name. Give him a shout out, like yeah. <laughs> and so he walks into class and he looks around the room and 
he literally it's the first thing he says and we were gonna talk about politics that day and it was like a huge thing about politics and it was like but it's called prospects and perils of globalization so he's gonna talk about politics and he looks around the room and like looks at everybody and looks at me like straight in the eye i'm front row i'm center i'm a little bit of a nerd so i love like being front and center um, <laughs> it looks at you like right in the eye he's like if you want to change the world it starts with you Oh, and clear message. It just hit me like right, right to the core. And I was like, look, he has no idea what I'm thinking yeah. about right now or going through. But like that absolutely struck a chord in me. And I looked to my roommate and my teammate who was sitting beside me and said, I'm writing a book. And he just started laughing. He's like, <laughs> you're writing a book. <laughs> and I looked at him like, I'm writing a book. And he was like, okay, cool. And so then I talked to my family again. I was like, I think I should do this. Talked to my agent. And then, yeah, went moving forward with it. So I signed with HarperCollins. It would have been in January of 2020. Okay. And the writing process was, I could answer that second question now. We made it. We <laughs> so made it to the second. Part B. We made it, yeah. <laughs> part, part B of the question. Um, <laughs> but this one was definitely interesting because I didn't know how the writing process worked. Yeah. And everything was new to me. So I'm not sure if you ever are interested in writing a book, and it's super cool, but you can do it in lots of different ways. And so the way that I went about it was I got a co-author, and I picked up Dan Robson, who was a very elite writer, well-known, super great at what he did. He was a best-selling author multiple times. And if I was going to do this, I wanted the best of the best. I didn't want to really go um, and just do it myself because I had no experience I still didn't have really much time. Yeah. And I was, I was 22. Like, I I didn't know how to formulate. I guess I knew quite a bit. I was a little bit of a nerd when I came to school. But um, I, I didn't really know how the writing style worked. I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to piece together proper um, ways to flow and, like, grab the reader in. And I learned all this through Dan. And so um, Dan and I would sit down every Sunday for four hours and just chat. And I just travel life. And we started from like me being a little gaffer all the way up to where I was at today. And uh, it was just normal conversation. We transcribed that from recording to text. And then we organized how we'd like to chat, like create chapters of the book, kind of the plot, the kind of the timeline, how we wanted to organize that. And then what happened was once we sent that in HarperCollins, it got approved. It was like a rough outline of what it was going to be. And then we would use a text and just put the text and Dan would order it into a good order that makes sense. So it's logical. Mm-hmm. And then he'd edit it, tweak it and he'd send it my way. And then I would go through it hardcore. And like, I remember Dan sent me the first three chapters. It was like the prologue, uh, chapter one, chapter two. And I went through it and absolutely the whole page was read. Everything was read. And I sent it back to him. I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, yeah, it's a little bit of editing. And he's like, a little bit. <laughs> so, like, we really got along, which is something that I couldn't have been more grateful for. And so, like, as soon as that happened, he's like, okay, like, we got to do this more together. And so, yeah. like, then we collaborated more, and he'd send bits and pieces over, and then I would throw in my ideas. And even before, like, I had tons of ideas. I don't want to spoil anything, but, like, some of the most impactful part, like the right after the crash, I think, you know, I'm part of talking about, um, that was my idea. Also like the doctor's note, nurse's note was my idea. 
there's lost even tribute chapter. I wanted to yeah. honor those sixteen. And the reason why I went with Harper Collins is because they said that there is lots of leeway. Like they're gonna give me an opportunity to really let myself come through. And so I was able to pick the title of the book, I was able to pick the cover, the picture, um, the colors. I was able to really make it mine and to make it whole. And so that was something that I'm so grateful for because throughout the book process, you sometimes have to meet certain standards and I did, but there's also things that were kind of given up to me and I had the opportunity to choose. And that was really, really great. And so I couldn't say enough good things about HarperCollins and Dan and Dan was incredible. But it was also really cool for me to learn and grow. So yeah. that was, it was good. And then the book went to print December 2020. And then it was released March 2021. So it's still so, pretty new. Yeah, it is pretty new. It was a quick turnaround too. When you think about it, it normally takes two to three to like usually two to four years to write a book. Yeah. And we did it within the year. So... It was super, super quick turnaround. And thankfully to COVID, I had no reason to leave my house. So I just worked on the book. <laughs> yeah, in terms of timing, that worked out. So are you glad you yeah. did it? I am glad I did it. And even before I, like, especially chapter 16, I really, I talked to all the angel families. I made sure they were okay with what I was going to say. I gave them full editing. They could edit whatever they wanted oh, wow. to edit. Um, I really wanted to be clear of what I wanted to say and I wanted them to feel comfortable with what was in the book forever mm-hmm. because they were part of my journey too. And even same with the 13 of us survivors, like they were part of the journey too. So I let everyone know before the book was even released and way before the book was even released, even before we were just started writing it kind of yeah. thing or just before I agreed. Um, and so that was for me a big piece, but also the healing aspect that came from it. I always equated strength to physical strength. And I know, especially within your industry, it is physical strength. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we have mental strength, like push through the pain, keep going, that kind of mentality. But then there's also the emotional strength, which I never really even knew existed. I knew it existed, but never really tapped into. And it was the vulnerability aspect. Yeah. I became very vulnerable, vulnerable with myself throughout the writing process and really healed all the wounds that were open mm. and created beautiful scars from those. Yeah. And so looking back on it, I went to change anything. I really poured my heart and soul into the book. I'm beyond happy with how it's connected with so many people and how people still send me messages on a daily basis saying how much this book has touched them in various ways that I never could imagine. Yeah, like and me. And so that's truly <laughs> meaningful. Yeah, thank you, exactly. Yeah, well, it was just so well written. There were so many creative things that made it. Obviously, it's an insane story and so sad and so many different emotions, like an emotional roller coaster your whole life, not just like the accident either, but like you'd been through a lot before that. So like learning all of that about you was really, really interesting. But the way that it was told, it was like watching a movie. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was really good. Thanks. It felt like the perfect amount of time on everything and so much kind of like closure at the end and so much tribute paid and it just felt like really a good experience as a reader although I listened to the audiobook have you have you listened to the audiobook yourself 
I actually haven't really listened to the audiobook yet. Yeah, I figured you probably Is haven't. Is it not as good? No, it's, I don't, it's great. I don't know, I have nothing to compare it to because I didn't read the book. I just listened to it. I listened to all my books. Oh, okay. But I was just curious, like, do you get to choose the voice? I assume you probably, like... So, yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> so I wanted to record it so bad, but I was in, like, five courses, like I said. Yeah, I that would be time. such a time and commitment. Even, literally, when I was doing the book, it was, like school book sleep school book sleep yeah school book sleep book 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 weekend sleep yeah (laughs) like it was just it was crazy so I didn't have time for me to do the audio aspect I really would like to but I was able to pick and so I picked um I believe Adam Verner and he did tons of stuff with like Walt Disney and he's like he's quite a big deal I guess Mm. so it was cool to pick him, and I was able to listen to various voices, and then HarperCollins would send, like, there's literally auditions, and so, like, they send all these different voices, and then what you do is, like, you listen to the voice, and they're reading a different passage from a different book. Like, okay, like, I like that one, or oh, I don't really like that one, and then once you pick, like, your top five, then they get to send, like, a little blurb of your book, and then you can narrow it down, so I narrowed it down from top five to top two. And then the top two, I got them to read the hardest part that I thought would be of the book oh, for them. Because, yeah. like, they had, one was, like, more of a monotone, which is the one I went with Adam. Like, more more monotone, mellow, like, kind of puts you through the paces at, like, a smooth speed. That one was, like, more of a theatrical aspect, whereas, like, yeah. very theatrical. And, like, I didn't know how you'd respond to the serious parts of the yeah. book. And then the monotone, I know how to respond to the theatrical parts of the book. So I was very curious about how both of them would respond to the opposites that they are. And so I put, I sent like different pieces for them to hear. And then I went with just Adam Burner just because he had so much experience. Yeah. And he's done tons of great um, books and movies. And so I went with his voice just because people probably would have recognized it. And even people I've heard by his like audiobooks just because it's him talking wow i and didn't so, know it was such an industry to be a i book. did either <laughs> yeah that's I crazy either. i was like this is so cool so just some things like that i was like this is really cool but then even with the book um i wanted to give back throughout the book and so the only reason why i wrote the book at the end of it all was to truly make that positive impact in people's lives yeah. and i even said to my agent jeff i said like i want this book if i'm gonna ever do it to make the positive impact on people's lives. I don't care about anything else other than making their lives better. Yeah. And so he said, okay. And I was able to donate a portion of proceeds to Star's Air Ambulance, mm. who literally helped save lives on April 6th, 2018, mm. with save lives every day. And then on top of that, I was able to talk about so many different topics in that book that yeah. I believe need to be stressed on, like hope, family resilience, mental health, physical health, emotional health, diabetes, brain injury awareness, death, grief, perception. There's so many different things in there. And so it was cool to have a different person voice my thoughts too. And I think that was really unique as well was to hear someone else say some things that I would say. And he sounds a lot more better than me at talking. <laughs> so I'm happy with it. You're great <laughs> at talking. Choice. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to have somebody at that kind of caliber voice tell your story yeah yeah he did a great job I mean yeah I I don't have anything to compare it to I I don't read a lot of books like sit down and like physically read just like you said I'm like an audiobook or podcast person 
Um, yeah. And I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, and I think he was really good. Usually I fall asleep a lot of the time. Like, there's very few audiobooks that I've made it to the end of, and I, like, fully enjoyed the listen wow. all the way through, so. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I guess you wouldn't be able to see the Larry devices I used, because I used lost them in the book. But I did use, like, in the physical copy of the book, oh. but I did use... Yeah, I use tons of the physical copy of the book. There's lots of things in there that readers can actually see, and it puts them, like, really in perspective. And, like, even in Chapter 5, I believe, I sent... My mom has the text messages sent to me in, like, the bubbles. Oh, no way. So I really try to create this to be all audiences and to be unique and different. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it definitely did that, and it was super cool. Yeah, very powerful, for sure. Your parents both sound like amazing people, both in the book and just hearing you speak about them. Where did this positivity come from? They both sound like they have incredible mindsets and had a lot of wisdom ready for you. For sure. Yeah, thank you for that. Thanks for the kind words about them. They are incredible people. I'm so lucky to have them as my parents. And I think that I definitely got quite a bit of my mindset perspective from both of them. They both have amazing wealth and knowledge and have had life experiences as well. And they're both a part of psychiatric nursing. Mm. So they took lots of the mental health aspect of it. And I also think that I got it from lost people throughout my life. Like my personal trainer, Chad Martin. Also my coaches, my teammates, my teachers, friends who became family, my family members as well. I think everybody that I surround myself with in life has truly molded me into the person I am today. And I wouldn't say it was just one person or just a couple. It's truly who you meet in this world and what you take from them. And I've met some incredible people and I'm fortunate to still have these people in my life. Some of them aren't here anymore, but some are still, and I'm trying to learn and grow as much as I can from them. Yeah, it's incredible. You have a wealth of wise people pouring knowledge into you, but I think that both your positivity and your willingness to be vulnerable are really unique and really admirable. You are an advocate for mental health. Was that something that was really important to you prior to experiencing a brain injury? Or is that something that has become more important to you since then? I think it always was important for me. And I've always harped on that. I'd read mental toughness and mental performance books all the time throughout my hockey career. And I had a mental performance coach as well. So I always knew the mental health was always imperative. And I thought that would give me an upper edge over whoever I was playing against. And I think it really did. So whenever I was in a shutdown role, which I was my first two years of junior, I was really able to get under people's skin because I would never react. I'd never react to their negative or to their chirps or anything. I'd actually just laugh. What's a shutdown role? I don't know what that means. Oh, so shutdown role is like where you try to shut down the top players on every team. So like every night, my goal was always to make the best player on their team not score. So it's and like so psychological place, kind of. Well, yeah. So like I wouldn't react. Oh, I wouldn't like yeah. retaliate. I wouldn't get back and mad at them and slack, slash them. Right. I just take it because I was mentally tough enough to know that I'm better than that. Cool. And that I can handle my emotions better than they can. And so I think that was when it really kind of clicked that I was able to, that, that mental toughness and performance, mental training really was paying off. And so I always knew mental health was important. But then even after the crash, now I think that my platform grew because we were all given a platform, whether we wanted it or not. And I personally would prefer not to have a big platform. Yeah. And I would prefer to have everybody here if I could. Mm-hmm. If I could change it, uh-huh. I would take old Caleb, old things, I, and I'd have everybody here. 
but I can't. And so we're given the platform after, and I wanted to make the most of it. I want to try to turn some negative into some positive. And so I have touched more on mental health than I did in the past. And I think that, especially with the world that we're in right now, is comparative. And you see lots of people suffering mental health-wise and mentally um, from all the things that we're faced with. But if I can hopefully help others throughout their tough times and make this for a little bit better place, that's my goal. Well, I think that you spread so much positivity and so much light, like more than you'll probably ever know that you do. Do you have You're a... Too kind. No, I mean, reading your writing and getting a little bit of an insight into your perspective on things that are so challenging and most people can't even wrap their heads around and everything that you've been through, even seeing your journey through diabetes and never letting it be an obstacle for you and everything you've been through, you've managed to see the silver lining of and like turning diabetes into such a beautiful thing and raising all that awareness and changing the lives of kids who are affected by it. Like, yeah. oh, it means a lot. Because I think throughout life, we're all faced with different crossroads or situations that really challenge us. Yeah. And we can choose to be positive or negative and like focus on things that we can control. It really does help us in life. Definitely. And I think that we sometimes get caught and focus on things that we can't control. Even with my diabetes, I couldn't control getting needles. And I would always focus on that as a child. Yeah. I was always mad about me having to get a needle, but it's literally out of my control. Yeah. So once you're able to let go of that and be aware of that, these are things that are out of my control. I have to accept them. It really does help moving forward and living the best life you can. Yeah. And it's just wasted energy. I always talk about that with like clients and yeah. people around me. It's like we spend so much time and energy worrying about things that might not happen or things that we can't control. Exactly. But when you put that energy elsewhere, you can create amazing things and you tend to attract good things when you choose positivity. That's so true. Do I you... love that you do that for your clients because I'm sure they benefit from it greatly. Yeah, and I think that's why I was really drawn to like everything that you're doing and your perspective, even like it shows through your social media, like you're you're very aware of the power that your mindset has and it seems like you are very intentional with how you show up in the world and I spend a lot of time with my clients trying to show them that that makes all the difference in your reality and you'll attract good things if you choose to see things through a positive light and choose gratitude and I spend a lot of time trying to like put people through courses on mindset and I'm interested what are those books that you were reading about your mental tenacity what's your go-to um, book oh boy so I read the energy bus which I thought was pretty good that was on my way to York University mm. which is kind of fitting it's energy bus and everything that happened that year is when yeah. I looked back on it, it was like just weird coincidence that is, yeah but uh that was really cool because all my beliefs were literally in that book. And I was like, well, this is super cool. But also beforehand, it was, I believe, mental toughness. And it was like something about sport toughness. And then Legacy by James Kerr was another one that I would read before okay. um, the crash had even happened. I really enjoyed that one. As humans, we have the opportunity to really grow in this life. Why wouldn't we want to grow? Like, why do we want to be no. so fixed and stuck in our ways and I want to be challenged. I want to have different perspectives thrown my way. And I want to learn and adapt and maybe take them into my own belief patterns or maybe say, maybe not, I don't like this. Or I just want to be growing, continue to be growing. Yeah. And I think that through reading, listening to podcasts, hearing other people's perspectives, we can become better people too. Yeah. And I want to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, always evolving. Being stagnant for me is so uncomfortable. Like, 
I have no yes. reason for wanting to leave. It reminds me, I see a lot of like similarities between when you said that you needed to s- switch schools and teams for your long-term goals, right? You were going to be the captain and you were stepping away from all of this, all of these good things and all of these opportunities. I feel like I'm in that position right now. Like my businesses are going well, everything is good, nothing, there's no reason why I need to move on except my intuition being like, there's more to do. I don't know what it is right now, but you just need to trust and jump and just like figure it out. So that's really inspiring to hear that you kind of had that same sentiment in that situation. And then you've gone on to do such incredible work and accomplish so much for yourself. Well, thank you. And I know you'll do the same too. And I know it's like that part where you're taking that risk it is scary. Like this book was a huge risk for me. Probably one of the riskiest things I've done in my entire life. Just yeah. because I was stepping so out of my comfort zone and whatever I say is out there forever. And even with that trade at that time, that was probably one of the biggest risks ever because I was talking to schools. I saw in Division One schools, I taught in youth sports schools. And these were schools I wanted to go to, mm-hmm. not that year, coming up the year after. Yeah. And I was already talking to them. So like for me to just move away from that, and unknown, like maybe I went to talk to them at Trump, or sorry, at, um, humbled. But I ended up what continuing to talk to them. But it was like that risk of unknown and uncertainty. But it's also beautiful once you get to the other side and you're like, okay, this is worth it. Or okay, I'm still able to make a living, or I'm still able to do what I want to do, and then some. Mm-hmm. And I've even grown like tenfold. And I think that's the cool part about it is that you grow no matter what. And you can really learn a lot about yourself throughout those challenges too yeah. and those risks. Do you have any practices, like daily practices or things that you do to keep your mind right and like to keep yourself so positive and so resilient? Great question. So I do. Um, I feel like there's always tough days. And I think that people say there's no tough days. They definitely have it wrong because there's going to be always some tough days. Mm-hmm. But for me, I have a few things I really like to do. Um one of the things is having a gratitude checklist and it's the first thing I do when I wake up. Mm. I think it's three things I'm grateful for. And today, for example, I was grateful for my education because I love, love, love my school. I love my program. This is like exactly where I want to be in life. I think that's so rewarding. I was also grateful to have food and a roof over my head. I'm fortunate to live in Toronto and pursue my studies in Toronto. And then lastly, it was actually coming to talk with you and to Aww. meet you. And yeah, no, it was. It was that opportunity to meet more people and to hear your mindset. And obviously, you're successful in what you do and to really dive deep with you and to hear all the amazing things that you're going to be doing and have done as well. And so, those are some of the things I was like really positive and excited about. On top of that, there was I always try to do one good deed today. I think that us humans tend to sometimes forget about other people and focus on ourselves yeah. and some days more than others, but some other days maybe we're like, like feeling given back mood, but other days maybe we just don't feel like it. And yeah. for me, I try to do it every single day. It'd be something as simple as saying a text message to my friend that I haven't seen in a while, calling, for example, my grandma, um, <laughs> or even something a little bit bigger, such as buying a tap or someone in front of you or behind you. Um, or even helping somebody with their groceries, things like that really do make an impact. And even picking up garbage when you're walking down the street, yeah. you may not see the impact now, but can have a ripple effect. And I can think of an example, it was actually on Sunday, I, there was a restaurant with my friends and we went for ice cream after. And we went to this ice cream place and they were about closing and we got in just before they closed and then we were leaving. 
and I saw the one of the workers come outside start picking up garbage. And there was tons of garbage all over the tables, and my friend and I went and cleaned up the garbage with this guy and helped him pull the garbage away. And after he was so grateful because he thought he had to be there for an extra half an hour and thought he was going to miss his time with his family. And they were celebrating a birthday. And I was like, holy, like we just literally made this guy's life so much better. Mm. And we went and sat back down um, and walked back home after that. And there was a table that was beside us. And they looked at us and said, that was incredible. And for them to see that effect, I'm sure they're going to go do something else in this yeah. world. So I try to do one good deed today. That was a little bit of a bigger deed, and today was a text message to my friend checking in on him. So I think those are the things that I always try to do. And then lastly, I always, for me, I try to focus on the positives. So my first ever face something that's, like, challenging. So, for example, today um, I was stuck in traffic. and might have been a little late to my school, but there was a big crash, and um, one of my friends were behind me and made it, don't want to check in with them. So I called them and saw, seeing if they're okay and they were okay. And that was one of the pauses, just make sure that they were okay. Yeah. And that it could have been a lot worse. They could have been in the crash. I could have been in the crash. Mm-hmm. And so for us to be all right, and then even about the people in the crash, like hopefully they're doing okay. And they're in a good headspace. But yeah, I know that there's quite a few things I do, but definitely the gratitude checklist and the one good deed a day is huge. And then always trying to focus on that positive because it is difficult sometimes, but even one positive would be that you're still here and breathing. Always coming back to the gratitude. That's huge. Is there anything that you do when you do feel like the negativity is starting to creep in? Working out is huge for that. I also like music. Music's another one that I absolutely love. Music can definitely change your mood. If you have a playlist that you like or songs that you like, Yeah. you put those on to get you going. Um, and I also still like to reframe my mindset and I I'm like internally motivated which is great but in that internal motivation I like to think of ways to make myself motivated and one of the things is like thinking about 16 who aren't here and Mm. for example if I was the one who didn't make it and I wasn't here how would I want survivors to live their life Mm -hmm. how would I want them to truly live their life and I want them to be happy I want to live life to the fullest to make the most of every moment that they have to really like follow their dreams and passions and to never take any seconds for granted. Yeah. And so for me, I really like to think about that on those tough days and it's like, okay, like I have a bigger purpose for being here. Like mm-hmm. I need to make the most of this day, even if I'm not really feeling it. And that's okay too. Like I might have a nap, but I know that in those days, the harder days that I can still live my life to the fullest and still be here. I might as well make the most of it. So I like to try to do something for myself, too, sometimes, because you can't do everything for everybody all the time. But, yeah, working out music and that I think definitely the mindset of that internal motivation of, like, really trying to reframe it and be like, okay, what's the bigger picture here? Yeah. And how will this – and also even my why. This could even be something I practice every day is I think about my why. Why do I do the things that I do? Mm-hmm. And I do the things I do because I know that it'll help me with a happier life in the future. But it's also because I enjoy it right now, too. And like, I enjoy the grind of life. And whether that's school, academics, uh, work, sports, relationships, it's like enjoying that aspect of the grind of life. Mm-hmm. The journey. So there's, yeah, there's lots of things that I do. And I think that you can't just do one of them. You have to do more than one. 
that works for you. Mm-hmm. But uh, those are some ideas. Yeah. That was awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me and thank you for writing your book. I'm glad you did because I took so much away from it. So inspiring. I needed it and I'm sure a lot of other people needed it too. You're too kind. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your kind words and all your support too. It honestly means the world to me. And it's so great to connect with someone that's like-minded. Yeah, it's always. It's rare to find it in this world, not gonna lie. It is super rare. Yeah. Because... We have lots of people out there that still get stuck in tough patterns and don't have the growth mindset. It's just hard to find. So it's it really is hard nice to, to find. And being vulnerable is really scary, and that's why a lot of people don't do it. I think so. To see you kind of paving the way and like just being super open and processing everything that you need to process and sharing that journey with people, I think is super powerful. And especially like within the personal development world, like most of the people that I end up working with are females and we're a little bit more inclined to like process our emotions and want to dive into that type of stuff. So I think that was like a big takeaway for me reading your book was like, I mean, being a male and also being young, like you're so wise and you seem to be so in touch with your emotions and able to not only process that for yourself, but to share that with other people is amazing and so inspiring. Thank you. No, that means a lot because I know that's a little bit frowned upon for especially men to be emotional on top of their emotions and to even be vulnerable too. And I hope that this book can make other men especially vulnerable too. It's obviously, lots of more women will read the book than men will, but I've had lots of guys reach out to me that have said like, hey, like, I don't really ever talk to anyone about this yeah. stuff, but like, you helped me talk to somebody or... They That's express amazing. like their own stuff onto me and kind of like, hey, like, from man to man, appreciate this, and I want to talk to you about this. Yeah. So it's really cool to see that kind of connection coming through and hopefully create more conversations around mental health and emotional health. Yeah. So. Yeah, normalizing that like for everybody is so important, and I think you're doing such a good job of that. So where can people find your book? So they can find it at any bookstore that sells books. Um, <laughs> On Amazon, on HarperCollins, you just type in Crossroads, Caleb Dahlgren, and it's K-A-L-E-B-D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N, good spelling of my name, <laughs> uh, you'll find it. And you can also find it on my website too, com. Okay. But um, yeah, honestly, in person, any bookstore that you can buy books, they'll be there. And then for online really anywhere online yeah and you post a lot um you're on social media quite a bit with your your advocacy and the things that you're doing where can people find you there pretty easy account it's, everything is at Caleb Dahlgren I try not to make it too crazy I don't want to be too um wild out there so it's just at <laughs> Caleb Dahlgren with a K <laughs> playing it safe yeah playing it safe I leave all the fun and crazy stuff for my feed. (laughs) (laughs) That's on a different account. Um, (laughs) One other question I meant to ask you, I mean, maybe it's obvious, but how did you decide on the name Crossroads? Oh, I don't know if it's obvious per se, but it was probably the biggest one I wanted since I first decided to write a book. And it was either Crossroads or Connecting the Dots. Mm. And... I think connecting the dots have been really cool too. I'll tell you connecting the dots first. Um, it's because you can only connect the dots when you look backwards. So like the whole idea was that all these things in my life, I would never see them at that time being yeah. helpful. 
or guided me onto the path. When I look back on it now, it connects the dots to where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was like one. I'm super deep. I don't know if you've realized that, but um, <laughs> you are. I'm I like that. Person. I was having a conversation just like that earlier today. I was like, "Isn't it crazy?" I'm like, "Everything I've done has like led me to exactly where I'm going and what I'm doing. Like, I wouldn't have met that person, had this experience, known what to say, like been in the right place. Like, life is just. I think it's amazing and beautiful in that sense. So I like that. I like that concept and that Thank name. You. Yeah, so connecting the dots between that or crossroads. And crossroads, for me, was just about all the crossroads we face in life. And obviously, my life literally changed at one at a crossroad. Physical crossroads, yeah. Physical crossroads. But mentally and emotionally, I've had so many other crossroads in my life where I have been faced with challenges. And at a crossroad, we can respond to the situation, either positive or negative. And whatever path we go down at this crossroad will take us to where we're going to be. And so for me, I always try to choose a positive path mm-hmm. in life. And so I want to go down a positive route in the crossroads. And so in the photo on the cover, um, the positive route is the one right behind me. And that's on the way to Nipwin. And so I end the book kind of going down that path in a sense of like choosing the positive way. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, it really came to full circle and I wanted it to be something that is easy to relate to and how we all have, everyone has their own crossroads. Yeah. Whether that's, like I said, school, work, um, relationships, addictions, diseases, we all have our own thing we're battling. And in that crossroad to find that positive and to enjoy the grind that we have and to really make the most of life that we have because it can be gone in an instant. So I think the crossroads make us who we are as people. And at the end of the day, without those crossroads, we wouldn't be the people we are. I so. love that. Yeah. That's Thank awesome. you. Yeah, it makes yeah. so much so, sense. A little deep. <laughs> yeah. A little deep, but uh, I think it's got to be. I think you got to be deep if you want to really put your life out there, yeah. or even if you want to put yourself out there. I think if you're surface level and you just keep it on surface, then you're not really ever going to get that deep connection where you're mentally, physically, emotionally connected to one person or many people, for example. Yeah. I like a deep, I like a deep life. I'm very like in my head and like, I'd like to introspect and reflect. And that's what I, obviously that's what I enjoy. Cause that's the type of work that I'm doing a lot of the time now is just like looking at the human, like, why are we, why are we here? What are we doing? How can this be yeah. better? How can we get deeper? Like I studied sociology in university and it was just like an elective that I took. I didn't even know what it was. And I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. Like, why are we the way we are in so many ways? Yeah. And I just took as many sociology courses as I could take. People were like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, I have no idea. And now I'm using it in a sense because I just want to understand people. I want to help people understand people and help people understand how to grow. Yeah. And well, so- that sounds amazing. It sounds like you're at the right spot at the right time for your life. Like, I feel like you got a huge impact on people. So that's great. Thank you, and you too. And honestly, your perspective and your story was exactly what I needed to hear when I heard it, and I'm so grateful for you sharing that with all of us. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And thanks again for all your support, like I said. And enjoy the rest of your time in Vancouver. Yeah. Soon will be gone, so make sure you make the most of it. Thank you. That's a good point. Yeah, it's bittersweet, but I definitely want to just soak it up while I'm here, and then we'll see. We'll see from there. Well, that was a mysterious way to end the episode. Okay, that's all we got for you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Caleb 
definitely make sure you go grab a copy of Crossroads. Give Caleb a follow. Show him some love. Let him know what you think. And I will see you guys very soon. Thank you.